Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers, open think tank coming at you on a Monday morning, 13 day kickoff for Louisiana and Texas. And as promised, joining me now is Chris Lano, Crippa, former Raging Cajun color analyst, still doing color analyst work on the year. He will be in Austin for the game between Texas and Louisiana. He was also there the last time Louisiana played there in football 16 years ago. We got a lot to get into. Chris Lano, also known as Crippa, is in the studio. Good morning, man. How's life? Uh, it's an honor to be back with you, Scott. An Thanks honor. for the call. It is an honor. You're too kind, man. You're too kind. <laughs> What's your favorite Beastie Boys song? You know what? I tried to prepare myself for that question. I just never really came around to it. So I'll pass. He doesn't have one. You don't listen to the Beastie Boys. That's you know what? Right. Growing up, I'll be honest with you, I, I was a West Coast Beach Boys fan on the old cassette listening to. So what's the go-to Beach Boys song? Somewhere near Japan. Very underrated. No one's ever heard of. Don't you? Yeah, never, never heard of it. There you go. That's my point. I just know Brian Wilson, the... Just constantly singing in that that key is, uh, I don't know, musical genius, to say the least. Still kicking too. I know, Cripple. Um, let's let's talk about the Cajuns. I know uh, for for one, you were at the scrimmage on Saturday, um, and I also know there's sort of a boundary, certain boundaries you can't cross. There's certain things you can't say publicly because it wasn't like it was open to the public, right? It wasn't. So how much? Like, I don't want to ask you something where I'm crossing some boundaries. I mean, I don't want, you know, the whole staff to get mad at you, but I also don't want you to just say, like, oh, you know, they look good or bad. You know, I mean, we need some some meat here, right? Yeah. I I mean, listen, it's hard when you're trying to evaluate amongst themselves. And when you see something good, well, there's always a negative balance to it. Uh, Well, then that part did not look good. And then when something did not look good, well, that part uh, looked bad. So, you know, it, it goes both ways. But I will say I I had to reach out to my um, my uh, old buddy Mike Desimo to have access, and which obviously they granted me. And um, you know I I thought overall you know there's, there's a lot to take out of it. Um, I won't get into the X's and O's obviously, but as far as player personnel, uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about each guy at each position and how I thought you know if they elevated their play. We'll talk a little bit more about the depth chart guys uh, filling in on backup roles who I think are going to emerge this year. So I, I was able to get a lot out of it. We'll not talk injuries. Um, won't say if there is or if there are any significant injuries. I know that's something and I was I was given a priority to be there. And I think Coach will keep on the down low until Texas to try to use to every advantage. But I was very fortunate to make it out there. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll spend the next hour or so talking about that. Conditioning-wise, I mean, it was it was hot as hell on Saturday afternoon. Well, they scrimmaged at 3 o'clock, and obviously so, you know, because what time we'll play against Texas in 3:30. 13 days? 3.30. So I, that was smart on Billy's part. I think they kicked the ball off literally right around 3.30. When I got there around 3, they were warming up, stretching, going through all their uh, all their drills. 
So, you know, it really was an actual simulation going into week one. I thought that was pretty smart on Billy's part. How individually, who who stood out? Uh, well, a couple of players. Um, I, I like from what I saw, uh, we, we could talk about the starters. We know what we're going to get from the guys up front on both sides. But really for me, I, I took notes going in and I wanted to put more an emphasis on who was going to emerge a year into the program of not getting a lot of playing time last year. One guy, Narcisse, um, from St. Charles Catholic, I thought he looked good. It's almost like a similar clone of Zion Hill in the middle. And I think I thought that was promising to see. Um, one, another kid, and I, I think this this guy is going to be special in years to come. Um, I know your boy, Mike Dettelier, likes to talk a lot about um, uh, what's his name over at Thibodeau. Kyron uh, Lacey. Kyron Lacey. He's big on Kyron Lacey, and rightfully so. He's going to be a great player. But I think the one, in my opinion, that's going to really emerge from that signing class is Trey Amos. Really? And he he's the one. You look at him and just his body type, the way he was able to get into his college man body in just one offseason, you can see it. It's evident. And the way he plays along the outside on an island one-on-one against the wide receiver – I mean, this kid is special. Catholic I mean, High I, I, I mean, Liberia, right? And if I'm if I'm looking at it from this angle, Scott, uh, from guys going into the next level and having long lasting careers in the NFL, because you know we have guys right now on this team that are very capable. One, Osiris Torrance, who I think could have a very long career on Sundays once uh, he hangs up the cleats in a, in a UL uniform. The next guy, second on my list, is Trey Amos. Really? I, I, I thought about that the last couple of days. ESPN he, 1420. So for those that don't know, uh, Trey's playing corner, correct? Cornerback, And yes. he's he's a Catholic High New Iberia kid. Um, in corner, I, I'm glad you started with corner because I think in the secondary, I, I said this last week, I feel like it's a really deep position that's being talked about the least on the team like we a lot of talk about the d-line the o-line the skill position um players because everyone's always going to talk about the skill position and then you see you know um just mccaskill and the guys at linebacker and it's like you mentioned the safeties here and there i'm like this secondary is deep it feels really Mm -hmm. deep well you know what we are now When, when i was sitting there in the stands watching him i'm thinking to myself we're app state of the south now we've reached that point now, App State, the last couple of years, what did we really talk about when we were playing up against Appalachian State in preparation? Their safeties, how they were physically imposing. They liked to play up in the box, and um, and they liked to play man press coverage along the outside. That's We have become that, and we have the death. We have the bodies to go one-on-one against more physically impose, imposing wide receivers, the uh-huh. 6'1s, 6'2s, 6'3s of the world. So, uh, you know, you look down the list of our corners – uh, we're talking about girth here. I mean, we're talking about Makai Garner and Trey Amos, who I mentioned, and um, big bodies that can line up man-to-man and also play in the box. I mean, I think that's the the type of, I guess, scheme we wanted to run um, with, with the level of signing classes we've had. You know, and we've got the bodies now that are very versatile that can play all over the field. And not only that, just we have first-tier guys, we have second-tier guys. And you know, it's funny, when the scrimmage began, Butler was not even on the field on first-team defense, unless I, I was mistaken. I didn't see him. But 
you know, he, of course he got a, a ton of first uh, string reps. To me, I think he's the best secondary player we have. Honestly, I think he's the best overall defensive player we have. Really, Percy Butler. I, I I believe that. I I said that all last year. You can ask our 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 friend Cody Juno. He's somebody I rave about. Um, uh, Percy Butler, and I think his ability to play in the next level. But you know, he was all over the field. I mean, we have guys now rotating, even along the wide receiver position. We have guys rotating from second string to first string, to, uh, first string to second string. Vice versa, because we have so many players, we have a surplus of players amongst those units. We're just trying to get everybody in. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Chris Lano Crippa is in with me this morning. Uh, some nuggets and notes from the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, you didn't even mention Eric Guerrero either, who uh, Guerrero, who's you know got a lot of experience, is you know a junior, but has played each year. Everybody knows his return game, but a lot of lot of reps, you know, a lot of experience. I think that's one thing that stands out, and I've mentioned this a few times on the air. You know, Coach Napier will, when he doesn't want to, he's not going to tell you much um, in terms of the media. You know, you kind of got to, it's almost like pulling teeth to get him to say something. And sometimes he'll he'll say a lot. But when he sort of jumps in or someone says something and he makes it a point to not just answer a question, but say something he feels like needs to be said, my ears kind of perk up. Like um, he was asked about the returning seniors that get the extra year of eligibility because of COVID, and uh, he refers to them as super seniors, and they're like, you know, that being why you have so much depth, and he sort of cut off the question and said, no, we, we even without those guys, we would have the most depth we've had since our staff started here, and that's because of how we've evaluated, and that's because of, you know, the work that's been put in, and I – that might not seem like much, but in year number four of covering Coach Napier, I kind of know when it's like, all right, we're on we're on cruise control here, and oh, he's going off road a little bit. And the way he said it, he's going off road a little bit. And he mentioned, yeah, certainly these these seniors help, you know, super seniors help. But this is is this the deepest team you think in in the history of Cajun football? Is that a question worth asking? Right no, now? it's not a question worth asking. Uh, and, and like I said, um, you know, it's funny when they began to scrimmage. They opened up first-string defense versus second-string offense. Second-string offense ran down the field on the first-string defense. And I'm thinking, you know, in years past, you know, it's something you don't really want to see. But the way this team has recruited in the past, it has been along the front line, both sides, defensive and offensive. They've got the bodies along the offensive line, especially within the guard position. I know we, we talk a lot about the left tackle or both tackles position, how they, they could be a little bit of a lack of depth. I don't really believe that. I, I think we have guys that can play all over the field. I think that evident when you saw that second string offense, it's their offensive line. They can hang with anybody. And I think we have a lot of bodies who can rotate in and out. Not only just that, the way we're recruited, but you look at the transfer, the transfer portal. You know, we have a guy in, uh, in along the offensive line. I'm I'm going to butcher his name, T.J. Fialoa. Mm-hmm. No, you, you unless got I, it. unless I got it. Okay, no, you I, did it. pretty good. So you're looking at a Monroe team who was at the lowest of lows, a season which they never led at any point in any game for 12 straight weeks, and he wound up coming out second string offensive line, offensive guard, the only high point of that team. And he transfers to Louisiana, and he barely even played much when I saw the scrimmage. He played a little bit of second string, a little bit of third string. So that just, it's a testament to how we have recruited. And you're now starting to see Billy's boys. This is becoming his team now. 
and uh, it's starting to come in, you know, it's percolated, you know, in recruiting the last couple of years, but now you're starting to see, see it come to fruition. So you feel like this is undoubtedly the deepest. Team. Oh, it's, it's again, it's not even a question. It's not something we need to debate. ESPN 1420. All right. So you, you mentioned a couple of players, you mentioned corner receivers talked about a ton because you go from last year, not having much experience, um, some injuries had something to do with it. Players graduating, you know, leaving for the pros, uh, graduating and going to the pros. And Marcus Bradley, now you got a ton of experience there. And uh, Tim Leger, co-offense coordinator and wide receivers coach, told us at the beginning, he's like, we got 16 guys that could play receiver. We could, we're only going to bring maybe seven on the road with us. And so how well can you play on special teams? So I, I is this is this the stiffest competition in camp wide receiver and did you learn anything on Saturday watching those guys because that's something that no fans are, are anxious well I, I tried to really put an emphasis when I was watching on the guys that transferred from uh, the one big name John Stevens out of TCU and also I believe uh, the Texas A&M transfer who was a running back now they're moving to the wide receiver position is Kabodi, I believe if I got that correctly mm-hmm. so number zero and the, the one thing I take away from scrimmage, I'm still looking for that alpha male, you know, that Jamarcus Bradley. I don't necessarily have that again this year. And I, and I think that's what we were missing last year. Who was going to be that one to really emerge to be the go-to player? And we had a bunch of young guys that we asked early to step up in Fleming, Kyron Lacey, Peter LeBlanc. So really, and also you looked at a spring where – Levi Lewis in 2020, he couldn't really build any continuity with any of these guys right. because you just were not allowed to work with them. And who knows during the summer what – and I'm going back to 2020. Who knows back then what type of access he was able to have with the players? I don't know. I, I, it's a season unlike we have never heard of, we've never seen. So I don't know how they ran their off season last year with COVID. Now, this year they had a spring. They had, I'm sure they had a lot of seven on seven pass scales. So I think you're going to see a type of Levi Lewis working with this young, it's still a very young receiving core. It is. And, um, but the one guy I thought really stood out was John Stevens when I watched him. He's just a physical, imposing guy from the outside. 230. And, 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 and you know, when you go back in the in the early part of the summer when Scott Hayes, former uh, player, uh, former teammates of mine, Drew Emerson, and, R- and just the RCAF, along with our very own Gerald Broussard, who was able to attend, we fed the team during the week. Uh, I was able to ask one of the athletic trainers, um, you know, so who, who do you like? You know, who, who was one of the new guys that, that you know, kind of talking to her just off the record. And she mentioned John Stevens, and you know the, she really likes the TCU wide receiver come out. I mean, he looks good. You know, he stands out. So then later on, after we fed the team, I go to Mike Desmond. Hey, Mike, so who who you really like? You know, who, who's the guy? Who's the guy that's going to emerge? He echoed the same uh, what what uh, I heard from the athletic trainer, and that was John Stevens. So I really wanted to see him out there, and he did not disappoint. So I, I think that's someone we're going to see play a lot opening week. You know, he has the experience. He's got the pedigree. And he's, you know, he's got everything else—the tools, the, the the physical ability to go out there and compete. And he, I, I just, I know it's been a while, but just reminiscing about the spring game, I was like, man, this this new kid is getting a lot of run, and he was targeted a ton. He was heavily involved, and like you said, there's just some guy. You know, he's one of those players with 
you get off the bus and you could tell, all right, that guy can play. He's he's got that prototype. He's got that build, and uh, and he's got that skill set. But that to me, I I depth chart week one, everyone's going to be eyeing it, and I don't know what it's going to look like week six. But I'd be shocked if it's exactly the same week one as it is week six. I think maybe at the top, maybe you see Stevens there, but just all of the guys right underneath the top, they're going to be vying for playing time there. And how do you get it done? You get it done on special teams. So how did special teams look in the scrimmage? Well, I think it's when you look at the kicking game, Kenneth Almondaris's job to lose. I mean, he he had a nice 40-plus yarder. He just drilled right in the middle right before I left. That was very promising to see. So that my opinion, I think it's his job to lose. I saw Reese Burns, uh, you know, he he booted a few and it looked good, looked strong leg, and uh, from a from from a very traditional punting um, um, stance, uh, not so much rugby. They they did both. They did rugby. They they did uh, traditional punt, but you know that was good to see. I mean, he looked good. So I think you're going to see both kickers, you know, kind of remain in place. Um, as far as the return game, you know, we all thought Chris Smith was going to return the ball, and which I, I think we're going to see a little bit of that. Another guy to keep an eye on, who I think now I, I don't. It's this is I thought this before the scrimmage. It's not necessarily what I saw. So I thought Trey Amos would get a little bit of returns. So that's something we're going to witness come week one. I have no idea who we're going to put in the backfield to receive the open ends of, of kicks and punts, but. I'm sure I think the coaching staff is looking for an out because they want to utilize Chris Smith at the running back position because he is now our 1A, you know, with the departures of Regis and Mitchell. But, uh, you know, kicking game looked good, looked solid. I thought it was, it was very promising. And I think, you know, if Almondera struggles, we're going to see a little bit of Nate Snyder. But overall, it looked good. ESPN1420.com. All right, anything else in terms of the scrimmage that you want to add before we kind of dig into a couple of other things? I mean, uh, it's just I thought Levi he looked good on his reads, and uh, you know it's kind of what you expect from a four-year player, uh, well, third-year starting, but for, you know you sprinkle in a lot of playing time back in the day with Andre Nunez, so you know he looks polished. I think on the backup role, um, I, I think you know, vying for the backup role, uh, what we saw a lot of was Chandler Fields, which is expected along with uh, Ben Wooldridge. Mm-hmm. And I think those two guys are going to be competing for any type of backup opportunities that happens, which you don't want to see. But you know, That's just, kind of been the one of the stories of camp. Um, the fact that neither guy is kind of pulling away from the other. Uh, I, I won't even be surprised if week one on the depth chart but backup, it just says or. Or. Right. Correct. You know, yes. I, it says Woolrich or Fields. Um, but, you know, we've seen that in the past with the starting quarterback spot, and that's not the case now. There's no, you know, you have Levi now. Um, I, I've asked this question to a number of people. You're, you're a guy that, that played in blood, sweat, tears. You gave a lot to the program years ago, Crippa. Most pressure. For a player, it's got to be Levi Lewis this year, right? Well, I think when you look at it this way, it's an interesting dynamic. So with the departures of Regis and Mitchell, you you think back, and even with Kale and Jamarcus Bradley, those guys were more of the face of the program. I mean, they've been around, they've proven themselves. Now, you know, Levi, the way I look at it, he's the brand. You know, when you think of like the Mount Rushmore of 2021 of UL football, it's Levi because he has been there the longest Especially, he's the most recognizable athlete along that offensive position. 
So I, I think there is a different approach coming into this year. You know, I, I you know, a lot of guys they tell me, oh, I wish Regis and Mitchell would have came back. And one, no, I kind of don't wish they would have came back. They deserve to go into the next level. But two, I think something like that can elevate Levi Lewis on taking a different mental approach, knowing that, hey, I am the guy now. You know, it's gonna fall on my hands. And I think because of that, it can elevate his game in a way. With with these receivers, with, with all the with all the potential that we see along the outside, and plus with an offensive line was better overall than we were last year. Every, everybody returning and added depth with the way we recruited, plus with the transfers. ESPN fourteen twenty is the great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather. That is Chris Lano. Crippa, final question for you before we uh, wrap up this segment, and we got a lot more on the way. Going to talk about sort of UL versus Texas back when Chris was going on his first college football game to now as the Cajuns prepare to travel to Austin to take on the 19th-ranked Longhorns or 21st, depending on which poll you want to follow. Who is, and if it's and if it's quarterback just by nature of the position in Levi, then you got to give me the second on the list. But who's who, in your opinion, is the most indispensable, the most the guy that they just simply can't afford to lose this year that really – you, you'll put someone else there, but they're irreplaceable. I think Osiris Torrance. I, I think, uh, you know, we've heard a lot on the air uh, with you and guys you've you've hosted on the show. I think tackle, depth, it could be a question. The way I look at it is there's a lot of depth along the interior of the offensive line. Nobody really proven along the outside. But because of just his overall ability of how he dominates, you're talking about a drop-off from him to the next guy up. I mean, he's that good. I mean, he's almost like Robert Hunt 2.0. And, you know, he was the big fish that we landed. You know, you talk to Mike Decimo and others. I mean, he was the one back in 20, I think it was 19, during signing day, man, we got to get this guy to sign. And, And once he signs, then that elevates your signing class to another level. It becomes recognizable along the Sun Belt ranks. You know, he did that. He elevated that class, just him alone. So I, I, I put him in that mold because he's at that right tackle. I mean, I'm sorry, he's at that guard position, but he actually is a tackle, the next tackle up. Uh, so if one of those guys you. goes down, so that, that's mainly that's mainly what I, what I was leading to. Any tackle that goes down with Mitchell or Carlos Rubio along the left side, it's going to be Osiris Torrance that's going to have to fill that need. Crippa is our guest. That's Chris Lano. I'm Scott Prather. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Cajuns minus nine and a half heading to Austin to take on the Longhorns in 13 days. Uh, I remember the last time UL played at Texas and opened the season there, and so does Chris. He was on the Cajuns. The difference between the program now and then, what are their chances coming up in the 13 days? We'll talk about the evolution of the group of five and maybe the Sun Belt in particular, how it's gotten to the point it is now. Still has a ways to go, but has come a long way since back then, and a lot of guys have paved the way for that. And, yes, the Saints preseason game number two tonight, Monday Night Football. We're going to dig into some Saints chat as well with Crippa. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. We'll be right back right after this on ESPN1420.com.
Welcome back in to the Great Scott Show on a Monday. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN 1420. Talking Raging Cajun football. Chris Lano is here with me. You will hear him and Jay Walker in 13 days from Austin, Texas, as Louisiana opens up the season at Texas. Number 23 versus number 19. If you're looking at the coaches' poll, 23 versus 21 if you're looking at the AP poll. Texas, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, and the Longhorns. It's funny, Chris. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of things about this matchup when you look at Texas that are true. They are breaking in a new coach. They are breaking in a new quarterback and replacing one that has that had so much experience. Um, if you're playing Texas on the schedule this year, this is probably when you want to face them. They're still Texas. You know, it's like they're still so you can you can kind of get caught up and sucked into the oh well you know they're 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 perpetually overrated blah 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 which I don't necessarily agree with I mean they were three plays away from the college football playoff last year um, I'm not going to suggest that for the team with the highest athletic budget maybe they shouldn't be a little better I'm just saying I think my point is I think the more you analyze Texas in this matchup the more you can kind of get caught up in extremes I. Nine and a half, maybe it should be closer to seven, seven and a half. But the game is in Austin, and they're good. I mean, it's gonna take, it's gonna take a great effort from Louisiana to get the win here. But before we kind of sink our teeth into the matchup, Chris, back in two thousand and five. Now, was this your first game ever as a as a D one athlete? It was my first game as a collegiate athlete. Now, I did redshirt that year. I, I will say, um, going in out of camp. Um, you find out, you know, more so of the younger players if you're going to travel or not, if, you, if you're not going to put the red shirt on and are, you know, if you're going to make, I guess you would say make the team in sure. that sense. They put a sticker on your helmet. Well, they put a sticker on my helmet. They didn't know whether I was going to travel or not. I guess I was like on that brink uh-huh. as a special teams guy, someone to fill in and maybe add a little bit of depth along that outside linebacker position. So I, I remember having a sticker on my helmet thinking, oh, great. I'm going to Austin, you know, but then I get a, I get a talk from uh, Coach uh, Coach Sean Quinn, my my defensive line coach at the time. Now we're we're gonna have you, we're gonna try to redshirt you this year. We're gonna bring in Hall Davis, who played a little bit that game as well as the next game against Ohio's, and wound up actually still redshirting on a medical redshirt. So it, it was my first game as a UL athlete, although I did not travel, put it that way. But I still refer to that I, as my first game. Was it disappointing when you got that word, or were you kind of prepared for it? Because well, on one hand, you want to play, and on the other, you're like, I still get an extra year. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. And, you know, I'm very grateful for it. I, I remember going in when I was uh, during fall camp, I got injured a little bit. And uh, they they put a black jersey on me, and I hated it. And I remember going talk to Coach Quinn, you know, personally in his office. Hey, what can you do to get this black jersey off? I I, I can still go out there and I can play because I I wanted to travel. I wanted to play. I was used to playing at the time, and um, I didn't want to take a year off. But I, overall, it was the best. I thought it was the best decision for me. Um, you know, you get to mature physically for an extra year, and plus you get to have an extra year caught up on your studies. But uh, talk about an interesting contrast between 2005 of both squads to 2021. So you're going into a year against Texas, I believe, coming off a Rose Bowl win, um, uh, which you can make the argument, although you may have not known it at the time, but a program at its absolute peak 
which arguably, I say arguably, their best player in program history. Although he may have not have won the Heisman, but we can all agree, you know, you have a Heisman vote after that Rose Bowl win against USC. I think everybody votes Vince Young, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the catapult Reggie Bush against a team in Louisiana that's probably at the very lowest at the time. And now you, you fast forward the clock 16 years later. You're talking about a Louisiana team that is now at its absolute peak in their program history against a Texas team that's still trying to, I guess, rediscover themselves since the Mac, the glorious Mac Brown days. You know, they're, they're trying to find that dominance that they once had. You know, it's Texas, like what you said, the highest, greatest athletic budget in the land. And they're just trying to rediscover themselves as a dominant program. So you're right. It's all about timing. And I, I just find it, too. 16 years apart, it's just an interesting contrast. They're returning 15 starters this year. They've got a great running back. I I feel like week one, game one, breaking in a new system, new coach, new quarterback, I'm anticipating Texas just trying to run the football. Um, And if they can establish the run and get going, it'd be tough, you know. But if if Cajuns can kind of force them to throw the football – UL's got extremely athletic linebackers. We talked about the secondary in the last segment, about how deep it is and how impressed you were with the secondary and the scrimmage. You know, now I think we're, we're looking at a great ball game. And, and last year it was great. They beat Iowa State, ranked team on the road, a lot of firsts in school history. Iowa State was a great team. They beat Texas last year. They went. They won the, the Fiesta Bowl. But is I, I know that they're not doing it in, in the locker room. I know they're not talking about last year. I've heard so much about, man, last year, same thing, went to the Big 12. It's like, that's last year. This is totally different. Can last year's win at Iowa State, in your mind, in any way at all, help or hurt the Cajuns in 13 days? Well, if you're looking at it from, uh, I guess, in an opposite approach from your opposing team, one, you're not going to sneak up on them. You know, I'm not saying we snuck up on Iowa State. I'm sure Iowa State, you know, because of the year we had before in 2019, a great year, um, they they definitely not overlook us, but also, uh, you know, you can make the argument of, um, you know, going in, in with so many unknowns, you know, you don't know what to expect with COVID. Now, again, you know, we came out there and we put it to Iowa state and we deserve, we were the better team from what I saw that day. Um, now against Texas, the one thing I don't like, and we were talking about this after last last uh, season, uh, a couple of buddies of mine going into the you know the, the next year, and we were both kind of sharing our thoughts before opening up against Texas. You know, do you want Ellinger to return? Do you want Tom Herman to remain as head coach? And those were both yeses for me. I wanted Ellinger to return, and I wanted Herman to return as well because I think the biggest challenge is not knowing the, the un, just the unknowns and just not knowing what to expect. You know, it's almost like we're going to be studying Alabama film, you know, as far as their offensive um, approach and how they do things from Sarkeesian's standpoint. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how Billy's going to prepare for that. But um, we're definitely not going to sneak up on Texas. I can tell you that right now. Just I, I stay in touch with a lot of the UT alums. You know, even guys who were on that Texas football team I've befriended over the years in Houston, and they're all saying the same thing. They're they're all echoing the same sentiment. Oh man, I hope I think you guys might actually beat us. Yeah, I just I'm worried about this game. You know, I just we'll be lucky to start two and zero going into this year. So, you know that that's what their goal is. They're just focused on week one and week two from a Texas perspective. 
So, you know, we're going to get their best punch, and we're going to punch back. There's no doubt about that. ESPN 1420. So what what chances are you giving the Cajuns? Do you like them in this? I mean, nine and a half betting aside, just in terms of the straight-up game. I mean, what would be the key here? I know we're 13 days out, but like you said, it's not like you have a ton of film on Texas in terms of what they're going to try to do. And that, look, I, maybe maybe they maybe they shock the hell out of me and they go and sling it all over the place and they're not trying to establish the run first, although that's what I'm anticipating. But what do you think, based on just what we do know, is going to be the key to this matchup and what would it take for the Cajuns to get a big win? And, and <laughs> I'll get more into that in terms of, I think the Cajuns have a lot more to gain than lose, but we'll get more into that in a minute. I'm rambling. My first question about keys to this and, and what it would take and if you think the Cajuns can get it done. Well, first of all, we don't really know who the quarterback is going to be. I know they have a quarterback duel going on between two guys. Um, um, and I, I can't really I don't know who to pin on who's going to be the starter. I, you go back to the spring game, which was aired on national television. You know, you still really couldn't get much out of that on who was able to catapult to the top. But, um, you know, just it's tough, Scott. I mean, I think one of the keys going into this game is being able to sustain drives to where you're not stuck on your side of the field and you're keeping the defense off the field for rest. I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a 330 game in Austin. So humidity is going to play a factor. Depth is going to play a factor. Uh, you're going to see a lot of cramps. And so I think, you know, trying to wear their defensive line, which is a bunch of big bodies, put it that way, and going no huddle, because when you go no huddle, what that what that allows you to do is it allows you to eliminate the depth along the opposition. You know, they don't have the ability to rotate. And I think that's a mindset going in when you're playing these big schools. You know, the one advantage that these bigger schools have is overall recruiting, just the depth chart. You eliminate that by going no huddle. So doing that, trying to sustain uh, drives, you know, you don't necessarily have to score every drive, but don't go three and out. That's the worst thing you can do and getting stuck on your side of the football field. So starting off early, I think you're going to see, you know, and again, this is nothing to from what I saw on Saturday. It's just my approach going in from the offseason. I, I think you're going to see a Levi Lewis play a lot more loosely in terms of more plays that are designed for him to run because we all know what's the hardest offensive play to stop, the quarterback draw. It gives you an extra man blocking. That's why Cam Newton was so successful in the NFL during his prime, because whenever he ran the ball in goal line situations, you could not stop that. You're playing, it's almost like you're playing with 12 guys instead of 11 guys. So I think you're going to see a lot more quarterback design plays on third down situations, trying to get Levi Lewis along the outside, just utilize his athletic ability. And um, I think defensively for us, you know, we're going to have the ability to rotate guys up in that front because, again, it's B. John Robinson, the running back for Texas. I think that's going to be the main focal point going in. How do you contain him? I mean, he's not just one of the best running backs in the league. And you, know, you talk to the most hateful UT guys I know of uh, back in Houston where I spent the last 10 years. I mean, these, they despise UT, but they will admit to you, these A&M guys, that, oh, man, they're, they're running back. I mean, he is – He's a Heisman hopeful. I mean, he is that good. He's great. So, I mean, that's going to be our number one focus from a defensive uh, standpoint is stopping Bijan Robinson. I th- from what I've heard, and, and I'm, this is what guys have told me the last couple of weeks, their quarterbacks are struggling during camp. Uh, so I don't know if they have a proven guy. You might see two quarterbacks from Texas line up against us. 
So not one really has emerged as a starter. And I think, you know, hopefully they continue to struggle. We'll know. We'll, we'll find out in a couple of weeks. So what does your head tell you and what does your heart tell you? Well, my heart tells me we're going to come out victorious as always. You know that. My head says, and listen, this is a very just, um, you know, impartial approach. You know, there's no doubt about it. We're going to compete and we got a shot. Um, you know, just, I, I think if we can make this a four quarter game, I think, you know, we're going to come out on top, you know, as long as we, we hang with Texas, I mean, it's Texas, you know, we all know that there's no if, ands, buts about it, but you know, I, I do like our chances. I like our chances because of the overall depth we have on both lines of scrimmage. And it's, it's one thing to think that you can compete because we always thought back in 2005, six and seven, we always thought, well, okay, we can compete against LSU. We could compete against A&M, but did we actually truly would believe with dignity that we thought we were going to win? That's where, you know, the philosophical approach to it. It's different with this squad. They went out there last year in Ames, Iowa, and they beat Iowa state. So I think, you know, philosophically, they know they can win, and I think that's the difference with this squad going into last year. They've done it already. They don't need to prove themselves again, and I think that's where you're going to see the difference going in as far as the mindset. I, I, I and for that alone, you know, I like the, I like that in our players. They know they're going to win. They think they're going to win, and they they already know they're going to compete. So I give us a good shot. Just put it that way. ESPN 1420.com. I'm Scott Prather. That is Chris Alano. If you're listening on the ESPN 1420 app or any of the places, you can hear the stream. It's brought to you by Champagne's Mark on the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Um, Want to take a, t- a minute to tell you guys about DraftKings. Come on. You got sports betting in the state of Louisiana. Download the DraftKings app when you do. Your first-time user, put in the code 1420. Trust me, you're going to get a shot at winning million dollars in cash prizes. And uh, it's simple. Pick your fantasy lineup. We all love to have fun on the sports day. Maybe you don't have a dog in the hunt. Maybe you do. Either way, let's have some fun. But as always, please bet responsibly, gamble responsibly. All right, ESPN 1420. So what do you you think the biggest key has been to the uh, evolution of – the Cajuns, and in some regards, the Sun Belt, because it's in a very different place now than it was 10 years ago, 8 years <laughs> ago, certainly 16 years ago. It, um, I, I, think it, I, I still think the American does have a leg up, but I think this year the Sun Belt has a legit chance to be the top G5 pro, um, conference. And I think, at the, I think we know what you have at the top. At the bottom, that might hurt it a little bit. But what conference doesn't have some pretty weak leans at the bottom, right? What's been the biggest key to the Sun Belt's evolution? And then the follow-up to that is to, to UL's evolution, where they're preseason ranked in both polls for the first time in school history. So you're bringing up an interesting um, uh, point where you're starting to see the G5s, you know, they're closing the gap on the Power Fives. And you're asking me a very interesting question, one that I've, I put a lot of thought into, and, and uh, I guess my question for you is how much time do you have? Because <laughs> I can go off on a tangent about this, but we'll, we'll try to knock it out. Though. I'll try to rope you in if you go too I, far I mean, off. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you go back 16 years ago and, you know, lining up against Texas, and I, I, I reiterate what I mentioned earlier, just, you know, we thought we were going to compete. Of course you go in to every game thinking you're going to compete, yeah, but did we really truly think we're going to win? Well, Texas won that game sixty to three for those, and you know it, it was seven to three at one point. Right. You know, right. so there you go. But, uh, but you know, and, you know, we made a joke earlier that Vince Young, if you changed the rules where if you had to be touched, 
uh, to be down. You know, he could have played that game on his knees and probably still beat us 63. But anyways, but you know, you, you think about that year, you know, uh, in, the, in the Sun Belt particularly, not just us, but around the league, you know, and 16 years later, you're starting to see the Georgia States go to, to – uh, to to Tennessee and and knock out Tennessee and you're starting to see the Troy of the world you know I think the last couple times they played LSU not only they beat them the last time but really they should have beat them before that um, and, and you're starting to see these other big upsets you know Iowa State uh, Appalachia State is up there they could beat anybody and and you start to think you know why how why is the gap closing between these G5s and I think you know you look at the 90s. And with the evolution of technology, you know, you go back when the Internet came out and in correlation with the Internet, you know, you had, you know, you had this athletic uh, training, you had uh, overall uh, just uh, diet plans as well as sports psychology. And you started to see these bigger budget schools. They got their hands all over that because they had the money to bring that in. And whereas you saw these other schools like Louisiana, we, we didn't have any funding, really. And, you know, we were lucky enough back in the early 21st century where, you know, when we got a protein shake after we worked out, we felt grateful. And, and believe me, Scott, I, I'm not I'm not knocking on anything that we had. We are very grateful for what we had back in those days. But you started to see these other schools, you know, they, they, they got their prints all over it and they started to see enha- enhancements of technology. And I think it wasn't so much to do with players of how they were being recruited out of those schools. It had so much to, to me. It was more about their overall player developments once they got there. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see from a player to player potential on an X, Y graph. You started to see it go exponentially northeast. You know, if you're looking at it that way, whereas in the Sun Belt, you know, all we had. You know, we didn't really have anything to work with. So you started to see our athletic ability. You know, it wasn't going anywhere. So. You know, and I remember talking, you know, I was with my dad and we visited LSU in 2004. I was a recruit and I got to sit down with Jimbo Fisher and was talking to him. And he was meant, you know, I never forget this. You know, he told me at that time, you know, last year, but before we played Oklahoma, you know, it was our sports psychologist that told told us that we needed to go see. There were certain players that needed to watch certain particular videos. And as a team, we watched a particular video uh, before Oklahoma to get, you know, because Getting into the minds of college athletes at 19, 20, 21 years old, it, to me, it's a lot about what makes them go psychologically. That mm-hmm. plays, that's very eminent to their overall athletic. What makes them tick? Hey, what makes them tick? What makes them go? Absolutely. You know what movie they saw? In 2003, you're not going to guess it Seabiscuit. Oh, yeah. So they went and watched Seabiscuit. You know, and it's very analogous. A, you know, that's from, such a Nick Saban move right it, it, there. But think about it. It's very analogous to the overall uh, sports team, you know, true underdog, overcome all odds. And the players were able to see themselves portray as the jockey and the horse in, in, in reaching the top and just kind of kind of catapulting their way to become, I guess, champions. Put it that way. So... So they had, you know, they had sports psychology, you know, they had the enhancements of athletic, um, uh, you know, weight rooms. Um, But over time, what smaller schools had to do to try to keep up, you know, we had to revert back to the zone read. Because what made the zone read so popular amongst these smaller schools, we didn't really have anything. It became more of a cerebral offense because we knew back in those days we can't line up in mono mono line up against these bigger schools. We, we, we have no chance. 
So we got to make it more of a mind game, more cerebral, that approach. And as we got a little taste of success, you know, over time, our athletic budget started to pick up a little bit. And as that went along, you know, you look at human anatomy. And again, I thought a lot about this. Human anatomy, the human body can only elevate peak level. Once it reaches a level, you know, you can't improve it anymore. You know, you can, your muscle can, muscles can only be so big. You can only be so quick. You can only be so fast. Where these bigger schools in the 90s and the early 21st century, where they just absolutely just stormed all over these smaller schools, you know, they were getting their hands all over this technology, all over, all over the enhancements of um, player, you know, dietitians and, and whatnot. So once we started to have a little taste of success, we started to get a little bit of that in the in the 2006, 7, 8, uh, eight days. And at some point, you know, then we started to see our growth take off where in the bigger schools, you look at that same X, Y graph, it starts to plateau a little bit. But now for the Louisiana's of the world, the Appalachian states and the Georgia states, you're starting to see that graph take off at a straight northeast exponential rate because now we have the money to do that. So it all comes down to player development. And I think now these days, you're, the reason why you're seeing the gap close, it's all because you know we have the money, we have the funding to develop these players once we get them in. And where you know you look at LSU and Oklahoma and the Miamis of the world, you know, they're still improving their players. But again, it goes back to my thesis that you can only improve so much. Whereas now for us, we, we now have a diet program. We never had this before. So you're starting to see our development rise at an exponential rate. You hear players talk about how big a difference it makes. Listen, Coach Phillips, our strength coach, he tried to put an emphasis on that because he understood how important that was. But he can only do that independently. We had no funding. So he would just get with us after a workout or you know, times when he had us one-on-one. Say, okay, I need you to eat this. I need you to eat that. But it was upon us to go do that ourselves. You know, we had we didn't have any of the resources back then to just provide that for us. We we provide that now for our players. So go ahead. I see you're uh, going to say ESPN something. ESPN fourteen twenty, ESPN fourteen twenty dot com, and the ESPN fourteen twenty app. It's the great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. ESPN fourteen twenty KPEL Lafayette. Chris Lano, if you're tuning in late, um, if you're missing the beginning of this discussion, you can catch it all on demand. Great Scott Show podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you li- listen to uh, to your podcast. Listen to it on demand. So essentially, uh, it's an interesting perspective you bring here. So much focus is, oh, well, money, money coming in, money coming in that. And then when you look at Texas and Alabama and LSU, what have you, schools that have large, lots of, lots of funding, lots of boosters, they just, they keep building bigger, better locker rooms, newer locker Oh, man, you just had a new one eight years ago. You tore it down, you built a new one. Yeah. And, and a lot of that discussion came in the whole idea of pay for play or NIL or whatever. But I'm thinking about it right now, and the way that you described it is almost like, so they had already used as much funding as they could on keeping up to date with, let's just say, for lack of better words, Cliff's Notes version, the highest level of nutrition, the highest level of dietitians, the highest level of medical staff, the highest level of training, the highest level of all of these other things. And then from there, once you kind of tap out there, well, we have all this money. Okay, well, let's improve the locker room a little bit more. And those, you know, Alabama's, you know, rehab room, man, there's a waterfall and all this stuff. And that's cool and that looks great. 
and all that stuff's nice. But really what's making the big difference, maybe that helps with a recruit or two getting them to go, but where the big difference in your mind is being made is those other things that aren't getting, they're not as aesthetically flashing. You don't, you might not mm-hmm. see it, but it's those things that they've been doing for a while, and now the other schools have sort of picked up on all of that. And what, what, what exactly is it called at, at UL where they do the, the, the BMI and then they they follow it all season and they look at your – how much you know? Good fat, bad fat. You have what's the actual thing? I, I can't even think of the name of it. They've had it for for several years now. I, I, I don't know. I, I I don't really have my fingers all over the program. Whatever <laughs> it is, it works. What, right. I mean, but, you, talking to Max Mitchell, you know, a few weeks ago, and uh, you know, but Scott, let, let me stop. Like my, my my weight's the same, but it's totally different underneath. Is his point? He's like, man, yeah. I, I, it's not like I've put on a ton of weight, but it's it's solid now, whereas before, right? And and it's come with the dieting, the specific kind of training. I mean, like you said, when you played at UL, you had one person trying to kind of keep track of that, but really, I mean, I, I don't want to simplify it, but it was you know try to eat good, lift a lot of weights, and and try not to get hurt. Right. I mean, listen, I thought you nailed it on the head. In those days, in the 90s and the early 21st century, they put their money into what was going to actually help their football team, into their overall diet plan, into their strength and conditioning. The P5. The P5. The good P5. The, yeah, the, the P5, who had who the money had the to money. do that. Right. Now, um, you know, you, you go back, and we're also, I mean, Coach Phillips even did this. You know, he broke it down day by day, the way your carbohydrates, the way they broke during the day. You know what day of the week was most effective in pertaining to what, when you ate it, that paid off on Saturday, the most important meal of the week. You understand the question? Mm-hmm. So what was most important? What was going to give you the most amount of fuel during the week to reach peak level performance when? on Saturday? Friday? Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday? Wednesday. And they, we're talking about breaking it down into such – minute categories such as that on what you eat per day per you know each day per week so it's come to that level where you know you're trying to maximize yourself to the utmost ability and i i my point is once these smaller schools they started to get their athletic budgets ticking up a little bit and they were able to get their hands on this type of information as well as this type of technology, which we we started to see that during the HUD days. Then you get a little bit of success, and then overall with that comes with better recruiting, and you're able to recruit better because you have more flashy items, you know, like a new locker room or a, a new weight room that we have to go along with that. But diet was so – it's such an imperative – variable to your to your and you feel like set. that's how I, I, g5s have I come do. a long way. i think that is the number one thing why g5s were able to come a long way is because you know you ask any trainer i mean i'm 35 years old now and what's i had a personal trainer that i worked with last year to try to get myself back on track because i just that's i had time for it and that's just what i wanted to do and we put more emphasis on my diet than I did on my actual workout program that I was doing for just one hour. Your workout program is just an hour of the day. You can only do so much. You know, really, it's your rest period, and what you put in is what really enhances yourself and just really escalates yourself to a new level. And that's what people, a lot of people, they don't really understand that. And we we didn't know any better. We knew no better back in those days. I mean, we had a middle linebacker, Antoine Zanders, you remember. Mm-hmm. This guy was the hardest worker on the team by far. I mean, he used to run to workouts during the summer 
you know, it might have been good, it might have been bad. And you know, I used to tell Antoine, "Hey, man, I'll pick you up, man. Just, just give me a call the night before. I'll pick you up. You don't have to do that." But I remember being on his side, just harping at him, "Hey, man, you gotta start feeding yourself." Because he didn't really eat. He never. And when he did eat, it was trash. You know, he, he would go after workouts. All right, Antoine, what do you want? Oh, give me rallies. Let's go to. You know, now these days, you know, these coaches, they will never allow that. You know, they have uh, nutrition for the players to provide for. I mean, I've been into the cafeteria, which is where the old weight room, weight room used to be at Louisiana. We provide, you know, we we definitely nourish these players, you know, to our utmost ability based on our funding. So it's at a different level than it was 15 years ago. But, you know, we that's but we didn't have the resources. And I think when I say we, I'm speaking in terms for all of the smaller schools around the land. You know, we they didn't have the resources that they do that they do now. And I think that has been the number one. So having obviously having you know more funding, but what you do with that um, and and investing it into the health side of things, training, diet, that part of things. It's like that is sort of the. The, the meat of the burger in a program and the the nice locker room and the 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 room that has a pool table and video games that's just kind of the that's dressing. all that, that's land yeah. that's dressing but yeah, the meat of it yeah, is, right. is 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 all the other stuff and you feel like it's been a big difference maker where the the gap's been closed in uh, in some aspects ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com Chris Lano Crippa is in the house been talking quite a bit this morning um, about UL about Group of Five about elevating about the last time UL played at Texas and how things have changed, of course, you know, the more obvious thing that isn't as uh, behind the scenes in his depth as Crippa just broke down so eloquently is, well, when you got a pretty good coach and the best staff in the history of the program, that helps a lot. Of course, I, I believe that the staff is the biggest reason Coach Billy Napier is still at Louisiana. Mm-hmm. You know, to say that he told South Carolina and or Auburn and or potentially others – Thanks, but no thanks. Don't act like there was never an offer there. It was, let's just say, an offer but with conditions. And some of those conditions revolve around, got to keep this guy, you got to do that. It's like, no, I'm good. Are you surprised that Coach Napier is still the coach at Louisiana, the head coach? I'm a little surprised, but I think he is – um, orchestrating somewhat as an evil genius. He knows what he has coming back. And I've always had this philosophy as a coach or really in, in any position that you strike when the iron is hot because that iron is hot for so long. And once, you know, it reaches its peak level, it's going to start to sizzle. And once it sizzles, that's it. You know, you, you're, you're kind of just stuck what you're doing. But this is a slow burn, though, isn't it? It's, it it this is. is a slow, it's a very slow burn. This is, it, a, it, this is a crock pot that doesn't take 12 hours. It takes, you know. Well, I mean, I, I, I go back to a conversation I had with Mike and, you know. Coach what, Mike Desimo. Mike Desimo. And he told me, you know, we still got unfinished business. And I believe that. I, I believe uh, Coach Napier, as well as that staff, you know, they look at this team. You know, we've got unfinished business to take care of. They they think they can take they can still take this program to new heights, and and who knows? And, and I've always said, and I still believe this. You know, the day that Coach Napier signs elsewhere and moves on to bigger and better things, I think it's going to be a great moment for this program. And it's what it's what we have strived for. We this is what we want to see. We want to see our program be left in better hands from when they first arrived. And we're all going to be happy for them. 
but we and, but at the same time we are so grateful that he's back for another year i i hope that the fan base really i am skeptical i'm nervous about attendance this year uh and i would say that covid or not Part of it is, I get it, the world of college football is changed and you could look at attendance across the country and it's not what it was, say, 10 years ago. I get all of that. But to fully appreciate what you got, I mean, you talked about it, Chris, from your time here and you guys did some some good things and, um, you know, won a share of a Sunbelt um, title one year. And you look at the program now, though, and say preseason ranked top 25 and it's not a surprise at all. Coming off of an 11 one, not a surprise at all. Like, expect a surprise would have been if they weren't ranked. Like, it's the standard is different, and it's not like it's been like that ever. And it's not like it's been like that for very long. It's here right now. And, and I, I just, I really hope the fans show up and support. And I hope this community, from a uh, attendance standpoint, really supports what they have because. I don't know. I mean, you like to think that, sure, this is the beginning of a long, long-term run, and, and maybe it is, I don't, but I have no idea. All I know is what you have right now. And there's been times in the past, it's like, all right, it's time to step up. It's time. I, there's no need to sell. Like, the, the team is selling it themselves. They've done their part. The staff has done their part. The community steps up and, and does their part as well because you've got really special team in your, <clears throat> excuse me, in your backyard. And I'm not doing that because... We're the flagship station. I'm not trying to. I'm. It's just factual. The team is in a different state, in a different place, and in the highest place it's ever been. And I don't. I don't know what happens in 13 days. And I don't know. You know, they're an underdog in that game. They might lose that game. They might win the rest. I have no idea. But that opportunity against Texas on network TV is. Um, I know that it's going to be downplayed, or it's not the most important game, and you got to win your conference. All sure. But, boy, you're not going to have a platform um, as big as that one. Well, last year they went to Iowa State. Last year was weird. It was awesome, but COVID, you're not sure if they're going to have a season. That game came through a little late, and Iowa State was ranked, and it was a great win. It was awesome, and it was a statement win. You go and win at Texas, regardless of what their record is by the end of the season. I'm just talking week one, a ranked Texas team. That does something to the program. That does something for the program that, um, I don't know. I I don't know if you'll have an opportunity like it again. Certainly, it don't come around often where it's like, boy, the, it's not just that the opportunity's there. The opportunity's there, and there is a legit chance that they can really strike and, and go and get the win there. And I, I feel like a win on network TV against that program would do wonders. And I, I don't know that you could put a price tag on it. I guess that's my long way of eventually just hitting my point. I don't think you could put a price tag on what you could potentially get. More to gain than lose, but boy, there's a hell of a lot to gain. Well, I think you stated that very accurately. I've been listening to you the last couple of weeks, and you're right. There is a much more to gain than to lose in that matchup. Now, as some may or may not know, I, I now live in New Orleans with my family. We moved from Houston to New Orleans last late last fall and living there uh, we've got you know time to time you run into a few of your uh, you know alum you know a pretty nice following I actually work alongside with a few UL alums and people are talking and they're talking about it and in in the office you know it's not just me we've got other people that are listening to you Scott in the mornings (laughs) thanks and there's there's no question I mean we we want to hear (laughs) 
I mean, we want we want to hear David Griffin again. Uh, can you Listen believe that? the Beastie. Uh, what is this guy's problem? But we want to hear about the Cajuns. Um, and I think you know when when Jay Walker comes on, Cody Juno comes on, and others, you know, it kind of it just it gives us an extra little spark. I mean, we want to hear about the fall. James what's going Butler, on. James Butler, you know, <laughs> whole Hornville alum. Love James. Yeah, that's my guy. So, so you know, we want to hear what's going to happen, what they think is going to happen. You know, it's football season; we can see it around the corner, and you're starting to see people a little bit more excited than years past. And there's going to be a following going out to Austin. I, I've talked to many people. Already, I mean, we had our tickets, uh, myself, along with a few friends of mine back in the day when we played. You know, we had plans to go to Austin, which we, we still are going to Austin. I may have a little bit of a different role uh, that I just found out about a few weeks ago. But uh, others that I have talked to are making the trip. You know, it's where our careers began. But we know the opportunity at hand. And uh, network TV, you kind of nail it on the head. I mean, it, it kind of brings out a different vibe. You know, being on Fox with Tim Brando in the booth, you know, a very recognizable voice, a figure of himself. And, you know, all that uh, with the success we had last year going at Ames, Iowa on national television, people know about us. And it's just I think it's just a different approach than we have seen in years past. But you're right. It's all about the overall attendance that who's going to come out and support when we play at home. You know, that's always a question mark. But I hope people take the opportunity because. Be grateful of what you have right now because what we have right now is special, and I just want everybody to be a part of it. ESPN fourteen twenty Cajuns open up at Texas in thirteen days. Then they're home against Nichols, and they're home against Ohio on a Thursday. Then they're at Georgia Southern. They're at South Al. They got App State on a, geez, what is it, a Tuesday? And then you're at Arkansas State on a Thursday. Texas State, Georgia State at home. At Troy, at Liberty, UL Limit home. Football is it's here. It's in the air. ESPN fourteen twenty. That's Chris Lano, Crippa. I'm Scott Prather. Football is in the air. Preseason football. The New Orleans Saints. One thing that you may not know about Chris is he is a lifelong Saints fan. And um, I don't know. I've, he knows that I keep being accused of being negative. I get all these texts and emails every day. I don't think I'd be a negative. I love the Saints, but I just, uh, oof, I don't know. They're playing tonight. Preseason game number two, Monday Night Football. We're going to talk a little Saints in our last segment with Chris, don't go anywhere. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Stay tuned. ESPN 1420.com. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Hanging out with my guy Chris Lotto. Crippa. Spent a lot of time on the Cajuns and a little college football. I'm going to talk some pro football before I let you go, Chris. The Saints in preseason tonight against Jacksonville in the Dome, 7 o'clock ESPN. 
You can hear the action right here. Pre-game begins at 5 on ESPN 1420. If you want to catch it on the radio. So, am I being realistic or am I being too negative about the Saints? You no. can tell me exactly how you feel. No, I don't think negative is the correct term to describe your, I guess, take of the upcoming season. I, 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 I'm, I'm along the lines with you, Scott. I mean, I've heard you and James Butler, and but I take a realistic approach to this, and I, I see nothing promising going into this season. Now, again, I've heard you mention, you know, number one overall pick. That's not going to happen. It's not going to be that bad. Although it could be, it could be that bad. We don't know. But you have a bunch of injuries to the O line. It would be yeah, but it, it was such a miserable uh, off season. You, you can't, you know, you, you can't poo poo that. And it's just it, it's only getting worse as we see with the suspensions and uh, the injuries. But you know, I, I, again, the X factor is going to be obviously who's going to you know how the quarterback position, whoever it's going to be, whether it's Winston or Taysom Hill, how they play and how they kind of keep the offense together. And there's a few bright spots on both sides of the ball, but I'm I'm actually in your boat. Um, You know, know, tag me along with you. I I don't really see much uh, optimism going into this year, and I just think if you've been receiving hate mail, then not hate mail, just so receive it. Even friends of mine that are like, you just you're so negative. It's this is going to be good, and you're overlooking this guy. And I'm like, I'm looking at the total package here. Yeah, but why? Then again, why build yourself up and over being overly optimistic and just disappointing yourself? So I I like what you're doing. You know, you're not (laughs) expecting much, so you won't be disappointed. I I I think that. uh, Well, no, don't get me wrong. When they lose on a Sunday, I'll still be very disappointed and and not in a good mood. So I think if you look at the Saints' running back unit, if you look at their offensive line, one of some of the better units in the in the NFL. Outside of that. Let's look. Let, I, I get it, Zach Bond. I'll be watching him tonight. Linebacker's been a nice story in camp. It's still camp. Just looking at it as a whole, I would say that last year, quarterback, you'd look at the Saints and you'd be like, man, they got one of the top units in the NFL because they have a legit starter. Granted, he's older, and they also have really good backups. And you wouldn't look at them as number one on the list, but they would be pretty high up there this year. I mean, where are they? I mean, question mark. I mean, where do you start them in their twenties? You look at. Um, Defensive line, look at the tackle last year. I think they're, you know, upper echelon, you know, not not top five, but they're up there, right? They've got a they've got a good unit. You look at the let's just say defensive line as a whole. Last year, probably top ten. This year, where are they? I mean, the interior of the defensive line is they've lost a ton. I mean, they're they're definitely in the back of it. You look at edge rushers, it depends on health. I think if you want to look at edge rusher, okay. I'll 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 good. Good when healthy. I'll give you that. Good, not great. You look at linebacker, you're great uh, with Demario Davis. Other than that, there's still question marks, despite who's looking good at camp. Secondary, last year, cornerback unit, probably top top five in the NFL. I mean, maybe top three. Certainly the best tandem last year when you look at like both of them and just how good they were this year. Where are they at? In the 20s, maybe? So... My point is, it's not just like one thing. You can look at an entire... That, that's been my big sort of, I guess, sticking point with this team is they didn't just lose a couple of people. They lost a a number of things that takes a positional group for the team outside of the top 10 in the NFL, and and now they're in the back 10. So you're not – there's some positions that went from top 10 to back 10, not even to the middle. That's – that's too much in one offseason, and then you throw in the transition of quarterback, and I, I can't sit here and just be all hunky-dory and say the fan in me, yes, I, I 
placed a betting ticket for them to win the Super Bowl. And I know that's not going to happen, but just in case, because it's the fan in me. I, I, seven and 10, that's where I'm at right now with this team, Chris. Well, you know what? You go back to the uh, 2020 draft and you look at it from uh, the Green Bay perspective. I, I tweeted about this before I, I deactivated my account. <laughs> but uh, you go back, you know, I've, I've got it documented it there. When they drafted Love Jordan Love out of Utah State, I, I said it then and there. I, I had this funny feeling. I had I, I trust my intuition that something was going to happen that where Aaron Rodgers was going to become a saint in a couple of years because everything would have been in place for him once his contract that once his contract succeeded over in Green Bay. So you wonder going into this year, you know, is, is it is Sean Payton is his What's going on behind the scenes? We don't know. But we saw the report come out a few weeks ago where a close buddy of Aaron Rodgers came out and said the one team he's going to go to is New Orleans. We saw that report. You know, and that's for the fans. What now? You know how much stock to put in that. But anyways, you know, so does Sean Payton, do they know more than what we know or what his friend knows? And does he try to keep the squad around? Does he try to keep the morale going for just one more year, knowing what's in place, what's in store for next year. So it's almost like I'm looking ahead. You know, th- this year is kind of like an afterthought. You know, what? because players, they talk. Coaches, they talk. And just like in the NBA, you know, when it comes to free agency, these guys, they talk behind the scenes. They know what's, what, what to expect in the year to come. So whatever happens this year, and a lot can happen. We can have a lot of highs, a lot of lows. I think we're going to have more lows It's going to be highs. a roller coaster. It's going to be a roller that. coaster. But I'm looking – I'm already looking forward to see – what <laughs> you've helmet. already moved on. I've already moved on. Yeah, so I'm looking forward that. to see what helmet Aaron Rodgers puts on going into into the 2022 I season. Come I on, can't. Scott. I can't do that. I gotta. Uh, That's what's keeping me afloat. I gotta look at this team this year. I. What do they do at quarterback if Jameis plays well? If he plays great and they stink it up in the playoffs because they get there because of him, or if they have an up and down season, somehow get in the playoffs at like eight and nine, but are like very mediocre and yet you know win one or two games where they play good at court I don't think that my I guess where I'm getting at is someone will say well what are they going to do if that what I don't think Sean Payton is going to make any sort of knee-jerk reactions to this season next offseason one name I'll mention that gives me hope for this year Ryan Tannehill you know very pedestrian and just all of a sudden comes out in the middle of his career and has a great Bounce back with the Tennessee that's Titans. The, that's the Adam Gase factor right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the Adam well, Gase we, factor. We, we don't know that. I mean, so if Sam Darnold plays great this year, I'm just going to be like, all right. It's, it's uh, but, that, but it's my Adam point. Is he, we saw what happened with Ryan Tannehill, and I look at the way his career was able to bounce back after having a tumultuous couple years uh, with his previous squad, and you know, it, it it gives me hope. And in the NFL, they sell hope better than any other sport in. In the land. There's no doubt about that. There's no that. doubt about that. Parody. Um Saints have had a great run. We'll see what happens this year. What are you um what are you looking for tonight? I for me it's individual players more so than game planning and, and things like that. What is there is there a player or two tonight you're keeping a close eye on? The one thing I look for in the preseason is injuries. Lack of. Stay healthy. You know, make it through. Uh, but as far as uh, players and I, I, I think, you know, the big question mark was the cornerback position. You know, who's going to step up and be our one and two cornerbacks? Well, Lattimore is um, one. We know that. Lattimore is one. probably going to be suspended it, for some that's, games. That's my point. Yeah, we talked about that. 
Um, we already saw what we got from Zach Bond in Callaway. You know, just Marquez Callaway, Callaway baby. your guy. He looks yeah. great, man. He looks he's looking the part, but we we they got a long way to go. I think um, Zach Bond. I'm going to be keeping a closer look after last week. What do you have in store this week? Davenport as well. I, Peyton Turner hasn't practiced, and I don't I mean I, is he is he still alive? Um, hopefully, who, who? <laughs> the first round pick. <laughs> He was having a great camp, and then he just walked off one day. Kicker. Oh, my God. That's going to be – talk about stressful. Um, Anyway, I know they signed Rojas, but that injury – it's just one thing after another. Um, But I think there are going to be some Sundays where they surprise us and a lot of Sundays where it's just – it just hurts. But you know what? It's been a good run under Breeze. We'll see what happens in this year of transition for the Saints. we got pregame tonight, 5 o'clock on our airwaves Kickoffs uh, just after 7. If you're watching the game, it is on uh, ESPN, Saints, and the Jaguars. So I guess you'll get to see a little bit of um, rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Well, Scott, I'll give you the advice that I give a lot of my friends. Um, Love your kids, like your sports, and they'll get you through this year. Well, the first part I always do. The second part is... Now, don't throw your kids. They they see I'm I, people that know me. I guess you know we used to have this this great guy but Lane. He used to uh, used to work here. Big big UL fan and uh, Lane's a great guy. Great guy. And he remember when he like started working here and he he'd listen to me on the air and then he would like have to spend time with me off the air. He's like, you're so quiet. Like what you know? I don't know. He's like you're just a lot more like calm and stuff. I'm like. Just don't come to my house when the Saints are playing because that is uh, – yes, I'm more dialed up when I'm on the radio. Off the radio, I'm pretty quiet, but not on a Sunday. And my kids are looking at me like, what is like, what the hell is wrong with Dad? Like, what is going on here? My son just laughs at me. But, yeah, I'll, I'll scream when I'm watching the Saints sometimes and the rest of the time just kind of quietly – Try to do what I'm told, right? Happy wife, happy life. That's the saying, right? That's the saying. When I had my second child, I think that's when I started to become less – emotionally invested with my sports and oh. I've lived a much healthier life, you know happier what? life since then. And that's, that, that's, the, that's the greatest advice I can give to any that's dad good out advice. there. That's good advice. See, I used to do it with like all kind of games and like multiple teams. Now it's like, put it this way. If the saints lose on like a last second field goal on a Sunday, it sucks. But pre kids, it was like, I don't even want to like, mm-hmm. I mean, how am I going to, how that. am I going to go on living? I, now, I now there's certain that. things. I mean, Bill Vinovich, I mean, there's still certain situations that have happened to the saints since I've had kids that are, I don't, you know, I'd like to say they gave me perspective, but the world was very dark on that day in January of 2019 when Bill Vinovich and his crew ate their flags. See what you do. See, what, I'm not going to blame you. I did it to myself. You were trying to pick me up. Maybe I do need to just. I'm gonna. Uh, you know what? Tomorrow I'm gonna come in, seven o'clock hour, and I'm just gonna have a list of like, started off three biggest positives from the Saints preseason game. I'm just gonna focus on the positive. Does that sound good? That, that's perfect. I, right. I won't text you tonight. I'll, <laughs> I'll leave looking, you alone. Looking at me. That's right, man. Shoot. Sometimes I can't watch the games right away. That's the other thing about kids. Um, but thank goodness you have streaming and recording and all that good stuff. That's gonna do it. With our boy Crippa, Chris Lano. Um, Chris, man, it's been great. Good seeing you in person. Enjoy the trip to Austin. I know fans are going to be hearing a lot of you this year. I look forward to talking to you quite a bit throughout the season, talking some Cajun football with you. And uh, all the best to you, the wife, the kids, man. It's great seeing you. Thanks for, for everything, brother. This was fun. Thanks for having me, Scott.
All right, stay tuned. Final segment coming up next. It's a great Scott show, ESPN 1420.com. Who won the weekend in sports? I'll tell you right after this. It's ESPN 1420.